In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with the Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2010 New Gethsemane Church of God in Christ Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This verse is Psalm 140, verse 1, and it reads like this. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. Good verse for us today because in this case, it was some violent men that actually went in the church to kill, find somebody and kill them. That will, that's what it was all about. So before we continue, I do want to remind you that we're doing our free downloads again. So by all means, share this program with your team and anyone else at your church or even outside your church. Share it with anyone who you think should watch it. Get the download and then that'll able enable you to have further discussions with them. It's kind of just a cheat sheet, a real summary of this program. All right, so let's get into this uh, church shooting. Um, it was a Sunday morning, February 14, 2010. The service at the New Gethsemane Church of God in Christ in Richmond, California. Uh, while people were praying and gospel music was being played, three young men in black hoodies walked in and strode down the aisle and back up. They looked at the faces while walking back and then went out the front door. A minute later, um, the middle man came in a side door holding a handgun. He fired at the people in a pew, hitting two teens, aged 14 and 19, then went back out the door. The three drove off. Uh, police came and a, search, uh, and, and a search for the three hooded teens was initiated. After initial hesitation, the two injured teens cooperated with police who began looking for the three suspects, especially the 19-year-old shooter. Within a week and a day, two teens were arrested. Uh, police were still looking for the gunmen whom they eventually found. The three intruders were members of a street gang on the south side of Richmond. The victims were members of a gang on the north side. The intended victim was the brother of the two who were shot. So the aftermath. Uh, members of the congregation came to the church on Monday determined that it would still minister to the community. After uh, police had finished collecting evidence in the church the, and interviewing witnesses, members um, repaired damage and cleaned the sanctuary. The next Sunday, it, services, it was services as usual, but with a watchful eye. A year and a half later, the shooter was convicted and sentenced to 40 years to life. Charges um, included felony assault with a deadly weapon, attempted murder, first-degree burglary, which is unlawful entry with the intent to commit a crime, and willful uh, um, disruption of a religious service. The judge said the wanton disregard for a human life was, is what justified the long sentence. A year after the shooting, faith communities and the Richmond police were working together to address gang violence in the city. They also included police helping churches and planning for safety. In 2010, 
shooting at the Gethsemane Church, um, was credited with bringing the community together for this. Um, the faith communities also began reaching out to teens who are more like, likely to join gangs. So let's get into the lessons learned here. And what I really want to do is I want to break down all the different points in which an active safety team could have stopped or interrupted um, the, this attack. So let's start from the beginning. The hooded kids, the bad guys, let's call them that, um, the bad guys show up and um, it's while services are already going. If there was a safety team that was actively monitoring the parking lot, they, these teens, these suspicious people, would have been spotted earlier. So maybe it's cameras, maybe it's an active patrol. So that would have been the first time these offenders or poten potentially violent people, violent people, arrived, right? So that's step one. And as soon as we detect them, the earlier we detect them, the more we can take the next step. Um, the next step, of course, is them entering the church. If the doors to the church were monitored at minimum and locked and monitored at best, you would have had a second point of contact with them. And then have, have that, you know, as we cover in verbal de-escalation, you know, no one remains anonymous, so they come into the church, they're late. Why not have a safety team member or a greeter or somebody that, you know, intervenes or, you know, engages them in conversation. And it could be as simple as, hey, welcome to you know, New Gethsemane Church. You know, welcome to the church. All right, you know, my name is Chris. You know, what's yours? You know, is this your first time visiting? That kind of stuff. If you engage people like that, you basically have three potential options once you engage them, either that being outside early on or once they're in the lobby. They're either one... They're going to engage you in conversation, and since they're bent on doing something evil, the hairs are going to raise on the back of your neck. You're going to know that something's up. This is not normal. This is not good. And so at that point, you could do one of two things. You could either ask them to leave or and or break contact with them and immediately call police because you're going to pick up in that conversation things. That's if they talk to you. If they don't talk to you and they just push right past you, well, that tells you the same thing, right? This is a dangerous situation. They're here, and I tried to engage them in conversation, and they just blew right past me. And so I'm calling the police. They're up to no good. I'm getting the police en route. Or what third thing that could happen is they could start violence on you right then and there. They could pull the gun, and now you as the safety team member are in a dangerous situation. But the thing is, is this, because you're approaching, you know, in a contact cover, you got a second person there with you, and also we're at a ready status, right? Psychologically, mentally, we're ready for them to pull a gun, or we're ready for them to engage us physically or with violence. And then we have the backup. We have a plan. And so we can mitigate the amount of damage that occurs, the number of casualties by engaging them earlier. And it's really part of being the sheepdog, right? You go out there to meet the wolf. You go out there to meet the coyotes or whatever it is that's threatening the flock. You go out there and engage them earlier than later. And that's what that's all about. All right, so let's move on to the next step. They walk into the church. They walk down into the front. 
They turn around, like everything is still going on. So this is just them walking in. They turn around and now they're scanning people's faces. That should tell all of us that they're looking for somebody. And why are they looking for somebody? Is it for good or for evil? So once again, at that point, that's another opportunity for engagement. If we didn't engage them in the parking lot, we didn't engage them at the front door, we didn't engage them at the, um, you know, in the lobby, now we're certainly going to engage them in the sanctuary because they're actively looking for something, and that's not normal. Now, sometimes people do come into the church, but their demeanor, their physical body, their face, everything is completely normal. I mean... If, if you saw me in the grocery store looking for my wife, I don't look hostile. I look like a, a lost husband looking for his wife. <laughs> and so that I hope you understand the distinction of what they probably saw here versus what it could be if it was just somebody looking for a family member. So once again, engaging them, you know, uh, you know contact and cover type thing, you're going to detect what's going on. They then, okay, so if we don't intervene there, they then leave the church. Okay, they leave the church. Now, here's another opportunity for securing doors, right? If they go, especially if they go out the door they didn't come in, the doors that everyone else uses, they're going out the side door here. What's up with that? And in this case, that was also where they came back in through, the shooter came back in through. So once again, if that door is locked and we go, they leave, we can go over there and make sure that door is locked, right? And if it's not locked, we lock it at that point at least and get that door locked. So when that when the shooter came back, they would have met a locked door. Once again, forcing them to go to the front door, which hopefully is also locked. And, um, and now they have to engage the safety team at that front door. And now you're having a, that conversation there. At that point, maybe you're even refusing to let them go in. Also, too, I kind of skipped over this part, is once they go outside, do we have cameras outside? Do we have a safety team outside? What are they doing? Um, a, couple, a couple of these videos passed, we talked about, it seems like there's a lot of shootings at churches where they leave and then come back. They go out in the parking lot and then come back. And I think they do that for two reasons. One, either they're now getting the weapon, because at first they felt like I could be discovered with the weapon. And I want to see, they're almost like casing the joint, trying to make sure that no one's going to see that they have a weapon. And they want to kind of get a lay of the land to be able to come in there and do something. The other thing I think that happens, the reason to do it, is they're amping themselves up. You know, so at first they weren't really prepared to start shooting, but now they're getting themselves built up. Well, if you're watching this, definitely closing doors and locking them and monitoring them, calling police makes complete sense. All right, so you don't engage there. Let's move on to the next step. They come in through that side door. Hopefully at this point, despite everything you've watched, your alert level is through the roof. You're probably taking your safety team members and you're strategically placing yourself to engage somebody who might be there for violence. And so in a sense that, you know, action is always faster than reaction, but your reaction is going to be a lot quicker when you're kind of anticipating that, hey, I think this guy's going to go postal. I, I think this guy's going to start shooting or start doing something. So now we're positioned, we're ready. And maybe we can, as they pull their gun, we're pulling our gun. 
or we're tackling them or we're doing whatever we have to do depending on the situation, right? And so then, of course, if we still don't do anything at that point, they shoot the two people. Now they flee. Once again, monitoring the parking lot. They left in a vehicle. So what was the plate? What's the description? All that kind of stuff. The second thing is we have two people with gunshot wounds in the service. What is our trauma response plan? You know, hopefully we've been trained to deal with gunshot wounds and we can increase the chances of survival for those people that have been killed. So you can see there's a lot of different things here, but they all rest on a couple couple key things here. Number one, locked and monitored doors, or at minimum, in a um, monitored doors with the ability to lock them quickly. So I know that there's a lot of churches out there, we don't want the doors locked, we're an opening, all that kind of stuff. Okay. You know, if I can't win that argument, at least give me a key or a mechanism to be able to lock those doors as quickly as possible so we can lock people out. Um, and then, of course, active patrol, right? You, if you don't have an active patrol, you know, I'm going to say something bold and it might upset some of you, but simply this. If you don't actively patrol the grounds before, during, and after the services, you really don't have a safety team. What you have is people that are armed, ready to re react to an attack. You don't have, you're not really doing anything to mitigate the risk, to head off these problems before they occur, um, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's really, a, I think it's a very dangerous situation to be in. You're basically waiting for the crisis, and then you're going to react to the crisis, you know, it's almost like, okay, the kids are playing with matches in the back room, but I'm not going to worry about it until they start the room on fire. That's really not a good policy to have. It's better to go into your kid's bedroom with their friends and say, hey, give me those matches, you know, snatch them out of their hands and take away that kind of stuff. And that's really what this is about. There's a lot of kids out there playing with matches. Are we going to wait until they start the fire? Or are we going to be proactive and, um, and, and deal with them earlier than, sooner than later, I guess. All right. So that's basically it. Before I let you go, um, regardless of the time of the year, you could always sign up for our individual safety member course. You, hit your, you get access to all 16 hours of training. It covers everything from security team fundamentals to active shooter, verbal de-escalation, child protection, use of force, arson and fire safety, storms and disasters, and I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting one. Um, there's eight courses, 16 hours of training. You can sign up, go through this training, and get certified with us. What it's going to do, and I've had many law enforcement officers, security professionals, homeland security people, federal government people, and, and many, many other people that have gone through this training, and it, it gives you a comprehensive view. Even if you have a lot of background, you're going to know more, or you're going to be reminded of things you haven't thought about in a long time. And that better prepares you to deal with as many situations as possible. So get in there. It was mass trauma. That's the one I forgot. Mass trauma emergencies, brand new course, just added. Um, so get in there. Take this training. It's going to change the way you safeguard the congregation. As simple as that. It will change. Um, 
I've trained at this point, we've trained 4,700 students representing churches in every single state. And so in that amount of time, very, very few complaints. Almost nobody disappointed in what they saw and what they learned. As simple as that. So I'm going to just encourage you to get in there, take this training. Other than that, if you like this video, please like it. You know, click the like button, click the follow button, share it with your friends and family, comment if you have anything you want to say to me, and uh, yeah, we can have a conversation in the comment section if that's what you want. Other than that, thank you so much for being here this week, and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.